Welcome. We're so glad you're here, and we love making fun of ourselves. That's kind of how we roll. So, anyway, this is part two of our Vintage series, and we started the series last Sunday by talking about the fact that we're living in a rapidly changing world, a rapidly changing culture. And because of that, for a lot of us, I think in some area of our life or, or a lot of areas of our life, we feel like everything is changing, like like the world is, has it's been turned upside down, and we're not real sure, you know, what we can hold on to anymore, who says what is true and who what is not true, the whole deal. And so the Vintage Series is created to, to be five weeks long here through these summer months at Next Level Church so that we can talk about some of those vintage truths, those vintage ideas that never go out of style. Last Sunday, you recall, we were talking about the children of Israel and how they relate to where we're at in the United States because uh, in just a few short days or, or weeks or months, their world was literally turned upside down, just like we, many of us feel like our world has been as well. And so about 60 days into this whole like chaotic phase of, of the children of Israel, God delivers them from Egypt and slavery through the Red Sea miraculously. They get on the other side. About 60 days into that whole process, they're basically killing each other. So God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and he brings him up there and he basically lays out for him what you and I know as the Ten Commandments and says, listen, in order to keep everybody from self-destructing, I want to give you some vintage truths, some vintage ideas that will never go out of style. So last Sunday in part one, we talked about the fact that that the first of the Ten Commandments, the first vintage truth, is uh, that God wants to be number one in our life, to have no other gods before him. The second one is like that in, in terms of don't make anything or anyone out to be, you know, to, to rival God's place in this whole vintage deal and in, in our whole relationship with him. Well, today in part two of Vintage, we're going to talk about our approach, how you and I approach God, because one of those vintage truths that is so true, not only for the children of Israel thousands of years ago, but I believe it's true for us living today in Southwest Florida is, is found in, in the, second, or the third and the fourth commands, and it's, we're going to be talking about how you and I approach God. How you and I approach God, because how we approach God matters. The truth is how we approach everything in our life matters, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. How you approach your job, it matters, doesn't it? I mean, if we come in every day and, you know, we've got a bad attitude and we hate life and we hate our job, we hate work, we hate driving to work and the whole deal, it's going to affect us, doesn't it? It affects how we relate to our coworkers. It affects how we relate to our boss. It affects how we relate to our customers. Matter of fact, I was on a flight from D.C. a couple weeks ago and I got to the airport early and I was on the plane and I got that flight got canceled, and so I got put on a direct flight from D.C. to Fort Myers. And so I get on, you know, and I'm sitting like 14 rows back or whatever on the aisle. And, of course, I'm the kind of guy that smiles at everybody. I've, you've told, I've told you that before, and it's awkward at first, and then they get used to it, and they like it. So I, I smile at everybody. So I, I noticed that one of the flight attendants, she kind of had a bad approach to her job. And in two and a half hours, no lie, you know, she came by me the whole deal. And it, it, a number of times, she never smiled. Like, like I'm, I'm sitting the row behind the exit row, and you know how, like, right before the plane takes off, I have to talk to the exit row people, and she's like, I need your attention, I need to know you speak English, and that you're willing to help us in the case of an emergency, you know, and I need a verbal yes. Well, the one dude's, like, reading his paper, and she's like, hey, sir, you, I need a verbal yes, you need to be paying attention. I'm like, lady, 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 listen, he's just trying to get, like, a free upgrade to first class without, you know, all the benefits, none of the cost, okay, go easy on him, because you're, you're kind of, you're being mean to the exit row people, most people are my hero. <laughs> and so no lie, like the whole drink cart thing, she's like, she's like, anything to drink? I'm like, yeah, how about a smile? 
I'm telling you, her approach to her job, I'm like sitting there two and a half hours, and I'm thinking to myself over and over again, this lady would be, she was a good flight attendant. I mean, we didn't crash. We didn't, I mean, nothing, nothing. XRO people spoke English. Was there, was there. She just needed to smile. How we approach our job matters. How we re- approach our relationships matters, doesn't it? How we, repro- how we approach our relationships, it matters. How we approach the laws of the land matters. Okay, I got one for you. I've never understood this. The people who, and you can kind of feel it's like a spirit of rebellion on them, and they don't buckle their seatbelt. I'm like, really? Who are you rebelling against? I mean, right now. It's not like there are police officers in some building going, dude, he got us. Nice move. Way to not buckle up, man. You showed us. Who are you rebelling against? If you get in a crash and die, is that like the ultimate? Ha ha! To the death, you know? You can't force me to buckle up. What is that? What kind of, what? How we approach everything in our life matters. And what we're going to find out today is how you and I approach God matters in our life. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be looking starting in verse 7 today because we're going to be looking at the third commandment. God gives us these ten commandments on Mount Sinai. These are vintage truths, vintage ideas that never go out of style. If you don't have your Bible, that's cool. The verses will be on the screen around me. And I want us to look at this together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We find the third vintage truth. Let's look at it together. It says this. This is God speaking. He's got Moses, captive audience, Mount Sinai, people down below, getting ready to self-destruct. And he comes to Moses and he says, don't have any gods before me. Make sure you don't make anything else that would try and rival my places, number one in your life. And then here's the third one. Ready? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You shall not misuse... The name of the Lord. Another translation says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And and I looked that up, and what the word vain actually means is uh, without real value, significance, or importance. All right. Now, here's the thing. This one has always kind of struck me, and maybe it struck some of us, as a little kind of a hyper. Um, Okay. God, you're trying to keep people from killing themselves. And you've got ten big ideas to make sure they don't. You're going to waste one of the ten on your name? This is like being at one of those parties and the dude who's introduced, hey, I'm Stephen. And you're like, hey, Steve, how's it going? He said, no, no. Stephen, not Steve. Anybody ever know someone like that? You're like, really? 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 (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I read this and I'm like, God, seriously, you're going to try and save the world. You're going to try and make sure that your people don't self-destruct. And you're going to burn 10% of the Ten Commandments on, make sure you say my name right. Come on. Anybody ever like this is or is it just this is just kind of the weird way Matt reads the Bible. I don't know. Guys, here's here's the thing. There must be something greater going on. 
there must be something greater. Ever felt that way? Ever thought, you know, like, you know, you heard, well, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're in a courthouse and you read it on a courthouse wall. And you're like, wow, don't, you know, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And you thought, what's the big deal? Steve, Stephen, Pat, Patrick, whatever. Who cares, right? God, Lord, whatever. Anybody ever heard someone take the Lord's name in vain? And it's just like, you know, they're just like, oh, my God. Oh, God. Well, God, it, right? Okay, that sort of thing. And anybody that ever just bothers you, like you saw a movie and it was just like, God, God, God. And you're like, oh, please just say, can I get a golly? You know, <laughs> one of those deals. What's the big deal? Well, if you're taking notes there in your bulletin, I want to I throw some things at us because, I mean, let's be honest. Okay, Matt, if we're really going to talk vintage truth, things that never go out of style in the midst of this crazy time we're living in, the new economy, the new world, the new whatever, then, you know, what, really, Matt, you're going to spend a little bit of time talking about God's name? Well, see, I think it's significant, and here's the reason why. A few reasons why this is a big deal. Number one, if you want to take notes, because when we talk about the name of God, see, his name is more than a name. It's actually a description of who he is. That when we begin to study the Bible, when we begin to study this historically, what we begin to discover is that God's name is more than just a name. It's not like in America today where we just pick names out of the blue, where we have like baby name books. And we come up with these weird names because that other one kind of sounded like my old boyfriend and I don't want to name my kid after my old boyfriend. And so I'm just, right, okay, we got like these weird little things that we do. But our names don't really mean anything in our culture. But see, in their culture, that's, that wasn't the case. That every person's name actually had amazing significance. And, and where did God get his name? Let me tell you where God got his name. If you rewind, we've been in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Rewind to Exodus chapter 3. We find there the story of Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember this? Do you remember the story where, and maybe some of us who've been around like Sunday school as a kid, you remember like you had flannel graph, you know, and I don't know how they made the flannel burn, but not burn, but burn, but not look like it was burning, but I don't know they did it. Anyway, so let's remember this story where Moses has basically been running from God for 40 years. And so he's been on the backside of the desert being a shepherd, just watching some sheep, just doing his deal, just not bothering anybody, just running from God. Well, God gets ready to deliver his people out of Egypt into freedom, which is what we're talking about. And so God shows up to Moses in this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. So there's Moses walking around with his sheep, sees this bush on fire, but not being consumed. And is like, hmm, that's interesting. Walks up closer to it, and this invisible voice speaks from the bush and says, Moses, come over here. It's me, God. I, I got a message for you. Oh, and by the way, this is a holy place. Take off your shoes. And so Moses takes off his shoes, walks over to the bush that's on fire, but not being consumed. And the voice says to him, Moses, you've been running from me long enough. It's time for you to go back into Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people. And of course, Moses gets a little, you know, I don't know, but he's kind of like pushing back on God. It's like, well, okay, God, that's great, but what am I going to do? Just roll into town after 40 years and be like, hey, guys, sorry I left. I'm back now. Let's go. You know, so God, so Moses starts pushing back on God, and he says to him, God, if I go back, that's fine and all, but they're going to ask me who sent me. What am I going to tell them? Who should I tell them sent me? A bush that was on fire? Because I'm not sure they're going to buy that. And in these verses, at the end of Exodus chapter 3, God gives Moses his name. He says, listen, when you deal with my people, when you go back and you lead them out of Egypt and you perform these miracles and all of this good stuff happens, here's what you tell them. You tell them that I am sent you. 
And then he, he actually takes it further. He says, I am that I am. Now here's what that means. It, it means that God was basically saying, I am the one. I am the ultimate supreme being in the universe. I am powerful, mighty. I am, the English word we would use to translate there is the word Lord, L-O-R-D. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, have you ever noticed that all the O-R-D is all like lowercase capitals? Have you ever noticed that? See how it's written on the screen? There's a reason why. Here's the reason why. Because when, when Moses comes back and he starts talking to the children of Israel, he starts talking to them, and, and he, when they asked him, well, who sent me? Here's what he told them. He said, Yahweh sent me. Now, now watch, put, the, put that word back up there. Look, look, because here's the thing. He gave them the name of God. And as he gave them the name of God, what they begin to understand in their culture, generation after generation, was that this name, this, this name that described who God was, was so holy, was so righteous, was so pure, was so powerful, that they wouldn't even allow one another to say it out loud. 5,700 times the word Lord, or Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, is mentioned in the Old Testament. Here's what they did. They, they dropped the vowels out of it so that when they would read it, they would be reminded, don't even say it out loud. It's that holy. The name of God is so powerful, it's so big, it's so holy that I don't even want you to say it out loud. So they would put Y-H-W-H. Now, some of us who've been around church for a while will recognize this because here's how that sounds. Yahweh. If you put the vowels back in, it's, it's Yahweh, which is a name for the awesomeness, the majesty of God. Here's another way that they would say it. Y-H-W-H, the W sound would go to a V in their, in their language, and it would come out as Yahovah, which is where we get our English word Jehovah. Which again, some of us who've been around church for a while know that that's a name of God. Watch this. The name of God was held in such reverence for so many generations in that culture that, that again, they would teach their children, you can't even say this word. You know what? So when they drop the vowels, here's another little fun fact. Ready? Y-H-W-H sounds like this. Ready? Yah. Ever sat with someone at their deathbed and listened to them grasp for breath? Do you know what it sounds like? Yeah. 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 God's name is so precious. It's so holy. It's so magnificent. That every breath we take, we're actually speaking the name of God. See, when we say his name, it's not just a name. It's a description of who he is. Second thought, if you want to write it down, why is this such a big deal? Because the name of God has tremendous power in it. That God's name is powerful. 
You know what they would teach their children? Instead of whenever they would see YHWH, Yahweh, instead of that, they would replace that word because it was so holy and pure, they didn't even want to say it. They would replace that word with the word Adonai. And you know what the word Adonai means? God is so powerful, he can, he can deliver us from bondage and slavery, i.e., they would tell the entire story of God delivering them from Egypt through the Red Sea, they go through, army goes in, water comes back, this and that, the Ten Commandments, right? They would, they literally named God. So every time they would see the name of God, they would think about how powerful God is to deliver us from bondage and slavery and deliver us to freedom. There is power in the name of God. That's why this is a big deal. Now, fast forward to today. We're living in a culture, check this out, where God's name has completely lost its power and holiness. We're living in a culture today, fast forwarding from them to us in the past several thousand years. We went from a place where God's name was so holy and revered that people couldn't even say it out loud to now living in a world where people go, oh my God, all the time. Our culture has absolutely cheapened the name of God to such a degree that we think nothing about it. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Well, God, it's like a toddler and the word no. You know what I'm talking about? Ever, ever, you, you know the toddler, you know the parents? Who, you know, don't look at him. Don't look at him right now. No, no, no. Eyes right here. Right here. Right here. There's nothing good over there. <laughs> nothing good. Look at me. You know what I'm talking about? The, the little kid who doesn't hear the word no anymore. And his parents are like, Johnny, no. Johnny, no. And you're in Target, right? And they're like, Johnny, no. And like every Johnny in the building is like, what? <laughs> right? Okay. Contrast that to a child who does understand the word no, whose parents can go like this. And the kid stops in his tracks and changes his behavior. Right? Big difference. Why? Because one has no reverence, no respect for a word. The other has all kinds of respect for a word, so much so that the word doesn't even have to be said. You just go, boom, kid changes behavior. Bam, like that. That's what's going on here. God says, listen, there is power in my name. There is power for your life. There is life-changing potential in the name of God, in the name of our Lord, L-O-R-D. There is power in the name of Jesus that at the mention of his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, L-O-R-D, that he is Yahweh, that he is the very breath that we breathe, that he is the very sustenance of our being. There is great power in his name, and yet the temptation for us is to live in a culture where God's name and the word of God means nothing anymore. And see, that's always the strategy of our enemy. That's always Satan's strategy, to take what God created as powerful, pure, and amazing, and so manipulate it in such a way that it completely cheapens it and it loses its power. And he does it with God's name. He does it with marriage, living together. He does it with sex. He does it with money. He does it with every good thing, making living rightly and righteous living and making right choices that honor God. Everything that is good and pure that is created by God, Satan's strategy is always to take it and manipulate it and cheapen it until it loses its power in our life. Every time. 
That's why this is such a vintage idea. That's why God takes the time and says, listen, if you're going to talk about vintage truths that never go out of style, then you got to get this one right. Because there's power in my name. And if you can grab a hold of that and not let it be cheapened by the fast-paced culture, it has the power to change your life. And that's something that will never go out of style. So that's the third command. But then in verse 8, we kind of segue into the fourth command. Let's look at it together. Verse 8. Here's the next one. Ready? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In other words, take a day off. Look, on it, I love this right here. You shall not do any work. Neither you, and then he knows we're going to be looking for loopholes, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servants. Look at, look at right here, look. Not even your animals. No, 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 no. Or look at this, I love this. Or any foreigner residing in your towns. No, 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 don't try and bring up some guy who doesn't believe in me. Well, he's a foreigner. He doesn't believe in you, God. He can do my work for me. God's like, no, 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 no. No loopholes here, people. Listen, I want you to take a day off, he says, verse 11. For in six days, why? The Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. And then look at this phrase. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, seriously, God? This is one of the big ten? This is one of your big vintage truths, vintage ideas that never go out of style? Really? Make God number one. Make sure nothing else is like him. Keep his name holy. All right, I'll give you that. Chill out? For real? Some of you who are like anti-God, anti-Christian, whatever, you're going to love this point. What's going on? Okay, here's the deal. They're slave nation, right? Living in Egypt, children of Israel are slaves. 400 years, they're living in slaves. Here's how the system works. In slavery, you wake up every day, you go work, work your job. At the end of the day, you're paid a day's wages. You go to the market, buy your food, feed your family, go to bed, so that the next day you can wake up, Go to your job, be paid a day's wages, go to the market, feed your family, go to sleep. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, day after day after day, the children of Israel were forced to never take a day off. And the truth is, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. Plain and simple. If you want to feed your family, get up, go to work, seven days a week. That's the way it went for 400 years. They never took a day off. 400 years. You know how many days that is for those of you keeping score at home? 146,000 days in a row, not including leap year. Because we can't verify that. 146,000 days in a row with no break. So they get out, Red Sea, the deal, chariots, water, the thing. They get on the other side, and God says, listen, I want to set up a whole new system. Now that you're not, no longer in bondage and slavery anymore, I want to create a whole new system, a system that's not based on works, a system that's based on faith and trust. 
So I'm going to give you one of the big gen vintage truths that I want to impart to you that will never go out of style is I want to give you a principle that will cause you every single week to demonstrate with your life that you trust me. Take a day off. Okay. Put yourself in their shoes. You've been working hard for the money. I knew you were thinking it. I know. (laughs) No, Matt, only you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What are we talking about? Okay, I'm back. I'm not really back. What are we talking about? Day off. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I need a day off. Okay. So, so there they are, 146,000 days in a row, they work, and they work, and they work. Sun up, sun down, feed the family, making money, they're working. Imagine the first day that they wake up, and they're like, what, what, are, we, what are we supposed to do? Honey, are you there? I'm still here. And the kids come running in, Daddy, you going to work today? No. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to eat? I don't know. This is scary, right? You'd be freaking out. I mean, you talk about crazy. For 400 years, it has been your efforts, your work alone that has produced food for your family to survive. If you're going to survive, it will be because of your hard work. And now God steps in, this invisible God, who apparently speaks from bushes that are on fire occasionally, this invisible God steps in and says, I want to show you and prove to you that if you will put your faith in me, if you will trust me every single week, I'll meet your needs. I'll take care of you. Imagine the faith it took for them to believe that God was real. Matter of fact, if you go back just a few verses or chapters before this in Exodus 16, you know what we discover? We discover that ever since God delivered them and they were out on the other side of, of the Red Sea out of Egypt, that it was, God started giving them manna. What was manna? Basically manna was like these big loaves of bread thingies. And, and the thing about manna was every morning God would bring manna and quail out and then you'd have to go and collect your food for the day. And at the end of the day, what you didn't use would rot. And the Bible actually says that like by morning it would have maggots in it and the whole deal. So like that's like totally take your teenagers to that verse and be like, look, it's gruesome, raw, God, yeah. And so like every day you would have to go out and work. You'd have to go out, collect the manna, get get the quail, do the deal in order to eat. However, God shows up with this and he basically says, now here's the deal. On the sixth day, you're supposed to collect twice as much food. And they kind of push back and like, God, if we collect twice as much food, it's going to be all rotted and maggoty and the whole deal and the bugs and the insects, it's going to be nasty. And God's like, watch. Sure enough, they wake up on the Sabbath, the seventh day, the day of rest, and they'd have enough food and it wouldn't get stale. It wouldn't rot until the next morning. Check it out. What was God doing? God was showing them in real tangible ways that he is their source, that he is their supply, that he alone is the one who can meet all of their needs. And that he was showing them every week, this is a tangible way that you prove to me that you trust me more than you trust your own good works and your own efforts. Now, what does that have to do with us? I think it has everything to do with us. Where's the vintage truth, the, the timeless truth that never goes out of style for us? Here's where I think it is. If you're taking notes, number one, why is Sabbath such a huge deal for us? Why is is taking a day off 
such a huge deal? Number one, because it forces us to trust God, not ourselves. I think God wants us to take a day off because it forces us to trust him, not ourselves. Let's be honest, workaholism is a huge deal in our culture today. Americans are addicted to progress and production. We are absolutely addicted. Some of you right now, you're like, yeah, man, I'm a workaholic. And we kind of wear it as a badge. Listen, I believe that in terms of alcoholism, you may not struggle with drug addiction. You may not struggle with pornography or an eating disorder or addiction. But listen, I believe that it is possible, according to Scripture, to be addicted to our work, addicted to progress to such a degree that it actually inhibits our spiritual life, our family our children, our world. Some of us right now, right, we got that sick thing going on in the stomach. You're like, move along, bro, move along, bro, move along. I'm not going to move along. This is a scriptural truth. This is a vintage idea. Why is this important? Here's the reason why. Because in a rapidly changing culture, our knee-jerk response as human beings will always be to run back to ourself. So when the job climate changes, when the real estate market changes, what the, the tendency for hundreds of us listening today, the tendency for us is, I got to work, I got to figure it out. I got to work harder. I got to make it happen. I got to go drum it up. Even if I got to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, I got to do whatever I got to do. And God says, not necessarily. What's more important than all that is that you have the faith and the trust to trust me. Now, it doesn't mean we don't work. Matter of fact, a lot of us, according to this, six days in a rest, probably don't work enough. But this is a scriptural truth that every single week causes us to stop and say, okay, God, I trust you. More than trust in my system, more than trust in my entrepreneurial skills, more than trust in my works or my good works or my best efforts or my talents or my abilities, more than trusting any of that, once a week, God wants us to stop and say, okay, God, I trust you, period. So here's the question for us. What part of your job are you addicted to? What part of your job are you addicted to? Which part of our job is it like, oh, no, 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 I got I to gotta do that every day. Some of us, we're addicted to technology. We're, we're addicted to email. Some of us need to take a technology Sabbath. One day out of the week, no email, no voicemail, no phone, no Facebook, no Twitter. I know, some of us just got a little twitch right there. We're like, <laughs> Facebook, you don't understand. Some of us, though, go serious here for a second. Some of us, right now, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, that would never work for me because my boss has to get a hold of me. Okay, then congratulations. You know who your source is. If you really can't go a day without your phone on, without checking your email, some of us right now, we're like, Dude, you don't understand. If I didn't, like, if I didn't Twitter, if I didn't Facebook, if you don't know what Twitter is, ask a teenager. I'm telling you, Twitter is, like, amazing. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> what was I talking about? So it was, like, right now, we're, like, thinking, dude, if I didn't Facebook, my friends would think I died. <laughs> Try it. That sounds like fun. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm back. And people are like, hallelujah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we thought you were dead. Nope, I was just honoring the Lord. <laughs> this is good, isn't it? What, 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 part, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what, what part of, of this, what are we addicted to? The Bible says six days in a rest. We model this as a church. Our staff, we are all off on Friday. Friday is our day off. We don't violate it. We don't violate it. Because it's scriptural. Maybe you'll notice from time to time as far as me and, and delivering messages. Here's what I've found out. I've found out that my rhythm as a communicator is about six weeks and then one off. So you'll notice that there are some Sundays throughout the year where I'm here but I'm not speaking. You know why? Because we've learned as a staff that this principle works. And as hard as it is for me to sit down there and go, mm, while Scott's preaching or Mike's preaching or whatever, as hard as that is, listen, it's scriptural. And what I've found as a communicator who preaches about 150 times a year, different messages all over, whatever, is that I can't, I won't be at my creative best if I go further than six weeks in a row up here. Six days and a rest. Here's the second reason why I think this is a big deal. Number two, because taking a Sabbath, a day off, forces us to relax. Listen, there is something amazingly spiritual about rest and relaxation. Don't miss this. God has not designed us to go nonstop. We aren't built that way. We aren't built to be able to sustain a seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year pace. And it tells us why, because God didn't even do that. God created the earth in six days, then he took a rest. Some of us need to leave this place with a determination in our heart that we're going to do the hard thing, and that is stop. Well, Matt, I don't even know what I do with myself exactly. Matt, you don't understand how guilty I would feel just going home and laying on the couch. Exactly. For some of us, the most spiritual thing you can do, the best thing you can do for your spiritual life is nothing for 24 hours. That's a challenge. Go home, take a nap, play with your kids, read a book, rent a movie, watch old office episodes. I don't care. Whatever. Do nothing. Dink around. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, I love this, that God not only talks about uh, one out of seven every week that you're supposed to honor him and take a day off a Sabbath, but then he institutes these festivals or these feasts. You can totally read about this later on after Exodus 20. And he starts talking about a few times a year, we're going to have like a week-long feast where you're not allowed to go to the fields at all, where you're not allowed to work at all. All you're supposed to do is get together and make a bunch of food and hang out. Now here's the thing, some of us who are real spiritual, we read that and we're like, yeah, well that was like an old-fashioned revival, you know, and they went to church every night and every day and they're just in church and come on kids, let's go to church. No, 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 no. Listen, if we don't like that, they wouldn't like that. That's not what they were doing. You read it. You know what they were doing? Nothing. They were dinking around for a whole week just playing in the ocean and just being with the kids and playing bocce and throwing the frisbee. They're just dinking around. Why? Because God wanted to prove himself. I'm a God that's so big that I can be trusted. And the way you can demonstrate that and prove it with your life is by taking a day off and stopping. That will honor me. And number three, why is this a big deal? Because honestly, it invites God's blessing on our life. When we stop and take a day off, when we take a Sabbath, no production, no forward movement, no progress. 
we actually invite the blessing of God. Did you see it in verse 11? Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's like instant blessing. Listen, we in the church, we get accused of, of preaching a whole lot of dogmatic things, right? Okay, you know, you got to tithe and add God's blessing. You got to do this. You got to serve. You got to give. You got to whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, all of those things are true. Right on. But this is one we don't hit very much. Right here, if you want the blessing of God, if you want to instantly bring blessing from God on your life, take a day off. This is a spiritual discipline that never goes out of style. About a year and a half ago, <clears throat> I was in my office and I was meeting with one of our staff members. We were talking about a time where he and I could get together for a few hours and do like a strategy meeting for his department, the whole deal. And I, we were looking at our schedules and it just wasn't, it just wasn't coordinating. And so I said to him, what do you do on Friday morning from like 8 to 11? Let's just get together early, first thing Friday morning, and we'll just, we'll just connect. Well, Mike Ash, our associate pastor, who's one of my accountability partners, was walking past the door at the time. And he kind of came in and was leaning against the doorway and was listening to me finish up this conversation. And when that staff member walked out, he sat down in the chair and he looked at me and he said, did I hear you right? That you just planned a three-hour strategy meeting on your day off? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just one of those. We couldn't coordinate. We couldn't. And Mike looks at me and he goes, let me ask you a question. If I saw you in a restaurant with a woman who wasn't your wife, you and I would both agree that I have every right to walk into that restaurant, grab you by the back of the shirt, and drag you out of there because it violates a scriptural principle, right, that we believe in. And I said, Absolutely. And he looked at me and he said, how's this any different? As we're going to find out in later weeks, the Bible says in the same Ten Commandment list, don't, have adult, don't commit adultery. Same list. Take a day off. If we're going to believe that one honors God, we have to believe that the other does as well. And some of us are violating the Sabbath and are hurting our relationship with God. We're hurting our marriages. We're hurting our children. And we're setting a bad example for the people we're trying to influence and win to Christ in our workplace. So what do we need to do? We need to come across a line in our heart today, don't we? See, how we approach God matters. It matters greatly, you guys. So here's what I want us to do. As we, as we conclude our time together, I just want us to pause, right? We're seated and we're not going to like bring everybody down. And No, 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 no. This is, this is you and Jesus. This is you, you and God time. And I just want to give us an opportunity uh, wherever we are. If we're, if we're here in the room, if we're watching or listening on our treadmill or wherever we're at, I, I would ask you to pause for a second right now. And don't miss this moment. Because God is here. And God is looking to draw us close to him and make us like him. And it starts with how we approach him. Because some of us, we've been taking the Lord's name in vain. We've been speaking flippantly of the name of our God. And God wants to restore the power and the reverence of his name. Others of us, we've been violating the Sabbath, thinking it all depended on us, and God wants to prove himself week in and week out to us anew. That 
he's our source, that he's our sufficiency. So across this room, can we bow our heads and just for a moment of prayer, I just want to give us an opportunity right where we're seated to respond to the Lord. God, you know our hearts. You see us. Lord, I pray for so many of us who have never understood the power that is in the name of the Lord. God, where where so many of us have been guilty of violating this this scripture, we've been guilty of, of speaking flippantly of your name, Lord. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, right where we are, right where we are in this moment. We ask you to forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would restore the power of your name to our lives like never before, Lord. God, for so many of us who have violated the Sabbath, who are guilty of working day in and day out, seven days a week, because we think it all depends on us, I pray that you would forgive us. And then, Lord, I pray that you would begin to renew our faith. God, give us the courage to have a conversation with our spouse to have a, a conversation, God, with our children and ask them to forgive us for setting a bad example. To ask our family and our co-workers to forgive us for not living the way you want us to live, like we trust you, like our faith is in you, like you're our source, like you're our sufficiency, like you're our supply, God. We ask that you would give us the courage, God, to go in and have a tough conversation with our boss says, you know what? I can't keep doing this. It's not okay for my health. It's not okay for my family. It's not okay for my relationship with my God. Lord, thank you for this vintage series, these these truths, these ideas that never go out of style. God, may we just keep being laid open before you that you can do within us all that you desire to do. Jesus' name. And all across this room, everyone said.